Hey everyone! Welcome to Plotting, a podcast about gaming, education, and everything in between. I'm Adam. And I'm Charles. We hope you remember to share and subscribe for new episodes every Tuesday. Welcome back, everybody. And today we're going to be discussing world and setting creation elements. Uh, basically, how does the activity of making a fantasy world, whether that's for a video game, for a board game, for a TTRPG, um, you know, how can that be related to learning and to what you do in the classroom? Yeah, I'm very excited for this world and setting creation. Like you said, it's so applicable to bunch of different, you know, game genres. I also want to say, I think certain authors do a lot of world building. So certainly like, um, there's whole, I think novels that have been spawned by starting with this. Definitely. Um, so what is world building? How should we, let's start with that. What does that even mean? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, it's it's not going in Minecraft and literally building your war, world block by block. Um, so what world building is in this context is um, sort of setting the scene, as it were. Um, you know, and a world can be as small as the. Uh, the cabin of a single spaceship or the, uh, you know, the interior of a single house, um, or it can be as large as, you know, a universe or multiple planets, a solar system, because world building in the, the context that we're talking about, it simply means, you know, building the world that your game or otherwise is going to be set inside. And while there may be a larger world beyond what you discuss in the game, uh, you don't always need to build out that entire setting. You just need the, what's useful for what you're doing. Yeah, this is one of my favorite activities, honestly. So I, I do like to write a lot. And I, you know, we've, we've even together tried to make games separately or together. And uh, I think it's such a great creative exercise to start with, right? Um, it's it's so powerful. It's like for a little bit, you get to play the role of God and just decide, you know, <laughs> what's gonna go in this universe that that you're sculpting, and it's. I want to say it's a an undervalued art form, <laughs> and a unique Fair experience. Yeah. yeah, I think it's something valuable for anyone to do um, at least once. I will say though, uh, hopping back to your comment about authors doing this and spawning whole books. Um, I would caution any authors out there, don't turn into a, you know, a George R.R. R. Martin or a, a, who did The Wheel of Time? Is that Robert Sanderson? Um, Brandon Sanderson finished have... it, and the initial writer was, um, oh man, this is... <laughs> anyway, my, Jordan. my point Robert here Jordan. Rick Reardon, yeah. Uh, don't make such a big world that you leave your story behind. Um, which I think does transition me nicely into something that I want to talk about here, which is um, how do you think writing and world building is different for games? Uh, specifically, we can talk about the tabletop RPGs because that's a one where more people have to directly write the world than in something like a video game where only the developers have to, than it is for a book. So in a tabletop RPG is what you want to compare it to. So something like Dungeons and Dragons or Worlds Without Number. Yeah. Um, well, I think my first instinct is to say that in tabletop RPGs, 
there's never too much prep. <laughs> and some people are going to be like, no, just improvise it. But really, because in a tabletop RPG, you're going to have to, you're going to have other players, right? Like other humans that are making decisions in that world. The more you've memorized that world, the more you've, you know, made that headspace that you, you like existed in and you know what's around corners and how people, different characters and respond, just the smoother all those, whatever game you're playing or whatever uh, experience it is versus, you know, if you're world building for a book, if you're George R. R. Martin, you know, it's a solitary, like ultimately it's a solitary exercise, right? Like you're mm. like, what is around that corner? And you have time to think about it. And so it's not so imminent that you're prepped and prepped and prepped. And uh, you can, you can always, you know, since you publish a book all at once, I would say you can retcon a lot easier than live. They're like, that person had a child last episode. And you're like, well, <laughs> it doesn't fit for our storyline. So I don't know. What do you think? What, what are the big differences world building, meaning like, you know, designing an entire universe between tabletop RPGs and writers for books? Um, so to me, I would say that the similarity is that in both cases, while you're world building, you know, it can be very tempting to just like start throwing it all in in the pot, right? You're making this, you this big old this giant world, and you just want to have like everything. You want to have pirates, and, and you want to have you know knights, and you want to have like a, you know just all these different concepts. And and I think what you should really try and ground yourself in in either activity is uh, what is the purpose that this serves for for the work because. Um, Otherwise, you'll just get sidetracked and have way too much. Um, but it, it's funny to me that you said um, you can never do too much prep. You want to have it as memorized as possible. Um, apparently, I'm one of those people who would disagree with you. Only because I don't think that world building is really about memorizing it. You know, um, As much as it is more what you said second, which is spending the time in the headspace, you know, you don't have to literally know what's around the next corner as much as knowing like, okay, we're in this region and in this region, uh, you know, there are these three cities who are governed by these like three or two or one entities and um, sort of just thinking about, you know, the, what is the shape of what's around the next corner? Um, and then, because that brings me to my next point, as you said, in a book, it's a solitary enterprise. You have all the time in the world to do it. And, um, you know, if you end up deciding you want to do a rewrite, totally good. Whereas uh, for TTRPGs, you have these other players and you might write, if you over prep and you write, okay, you know, next they will visit this uh you know, armory that's around the corner and they will talk to the old guard captain that sits there sharpening his blade. And then the players take a totally different tack and, and never even go near that armory. You know, that's sort of wasted prep, I guess. Okay, so mind. there, yeah, you do need, you know, there are limits to it, to the efficiency, but, you know, this reminds me of one of my favorite scenes in, have you seen the community episode on Dungeons and Dragons? Of course, yeah. Okay, in the second episode, the second, this is like a really niche, in, in this TV show community, uh, one of the main characters is DMing, and he has like an experienced player, and then like a bunch of non-experienced players. And the experienced player is like, what if I go off your, your map? Do I just, do I fall off the edge of the world? And then Ahmed, the character, like pulls up this whole miner, and he's like, yeah, actually, I know everything. And I find myself more as like in a bed, I guess, for Ahmed. I, 
as a DM. I'm much more comfortable. So you remind me also of like in tabletop RPG books for DMs, for, for Dungeon Masters, a lot of times there's different parts. There's like parts that are like really specific. Like here's this town and here's this, here's the main buildings in the town. Here's the people in the buildings and here's the motivations and here's how they'll respond in certain situations. And then there's like other pages, people that haven't DM before. There's other pages that are like, it's a city filled with rogues and danger. And you're like, oh no, that's it. <laughs> and the players are like, let's go to that city. And like that to me, that to me is painful. That feels like I'm underprepped. I'm going to have to improvise. And I've talked about this before, how like, I want the legitimacy of it being more grounded, like like of having, just having planned it before, to me, lends it more legitimacy, or at least I need to sell it that way. Um, well, Adam, what are what are some of your experiences world building? Can you talk about that? Sure. So I, you know, would consider myself an avid world builder, so I've built many different worlds, but I guess I will talk about three in particular. Um, the first is that um, for a long time, I, I didn't have anyone to play any tabletop RPGs with, but I knew about the genre and I knew I was excited uh, to do so. And so I was uh, just sort of constantly creating this world that I envisioned my players playing in and um, you know, I, I just shamelessly cribbed from, from various books. Uh, I think that's one thing that I would give as a tip to, to anyone sitting out on world building for the first time is, you know, you can absolutely borrow material from other places as long, you know, if you're not selling it and if you're willing to give credit where credit is due, then yeah, if you read a book and you love, 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 like how they set up this one city state, feel free, you know, like take that city state, you can change the name or, or whatever, but um, don't be afraid to borrow. Especially uh, as a DM. And I want to say, this is kind of like writers and you're like, a lot of them start writing fan fiction and then they go from that because they have like an established world and then maybe their next book is <laughs> improvised or, you yeah. know, original. Um, so... Yeah, that one was more like a uh, an amalgam of just different things that I, I liked in other people's work. Was it a fantasy world? I'm curious what works you took it from. What what work works did you borrow from? Oh, man. Um, this is like, what, 12-year-old Adam? Is that who we're talking about right now? Uh, I would say like 12 to 16, probably. So, so. what were your formative books? Harry Potter? Are these, is there a Hogwarts school for witchcraft? No Hogwarts. Um... So I would say uh, it's got a lot of inspiration from, you know, like the Warcraft setting, mm. um, a good amount of inspiration from some of the classics like Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, um, a little bit of inspiration from a, uh, I don't know if you've read this, The Dark Tower by Stephen King. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh, one of his less known works I find, but one that I just really, really loved. What? Uh, that's just like most, in my mind, that's one of the more. Because I hang out really? with fantasy worlds. Like yeah. Most of the time when I talk to people about that. Shining. Like, like, what are they? I've never heard of that. Um, you mean that failed miniseries? <laughs> or like the failed I know, movie that came out like a few years ago? <laughs> yeah, I never even watched that. Uh, yeah, me neither. Failed really badly. Um, and, man, I'm struggling to think of a few of the others. 
and I don't want to not give credit where it's due. So well, good. we can tag all these, these authors. I'll be like, Hey, I give you a shout out in my podcast. <laughs> Thanks Stephen King. Would you mind retweeting this? <laughs> I, I'm sure they'll love that. Um, all right. So that was my first experience was with world building was just sort of shamelessly ripping and stealing and rewriting things that I had liked and thought would be fun to actually like play through, you know, books that I loved so much that I was like, man, this would have been awesome if it was a, a choose your own adventure instead of just a book where I have to read the story. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, I transitioned into making my first uh, fully competent homebrew RPG world. Uh, and that was the world of uh, Valyrian. It's a sort of a stereotypical fantasy setting, but it's got some, I don't know, I like to think unique uh, features to it. But I think what was interesting about building Valyrian to me was that I did it entirely what I'm going to call uh, bottom up. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But okay. I started from a conflict that I thought seemed interesting and from there built everything that would have to surround that conflict in order for uh, making it in order to make it an interesting world to play in. Hmm. So what's the third type? Um, what was your third experience? <laughs> all right. Well, I don't want to spoil too much for our future episode, but uh, so more recently I've been working on um, a West Marches game of D&D, which is a sort of a different style that we'll be talking about later. But um, in order to build it, I built this region called Petania. Um, and I think that this was where, for the first time, I started to learn the lesson of you don't have to build everything, just mm-hmm. what's relevant. Um, you know, I would say especially for like Valyrian, there's whole swaths of the world that have never been explored and probably never will be because I just, you know, even I don't play enough Dungeons and Dragons for a group to fully explore it, but. So a lot of Valyrian is fleshed out as the characters go there? Or is it like, you're like, where are you guys heading next? Next session, over those mountains? All right, or. No, no, so the opposite. Valyrian is like fully fleshed out, like what you, say you would prefer in a campaign book right like there's you know like all the villager names in each village (laughs) exactly their pets are okay literally have like lists of like um even where i don't have specific villager names there will be like lists of like male first names in this region female first names in this region Mm -hmm. last names uh in this region um stuff like that um it's just you know got like tables and tables of, of data behind it um, but Patani, I think, was my first uh, sort of revelation that you don't need to do all of that. You can just sort of build what's needed. And, and this is actually a, I guess, to me, I started to learn this from when I learned about how video games manipulate the player's perception of the world um, mm-hmm. in terms of how they buffer it. Um, you know, a video game world is huge and there's all these different objects and moving parts and stuff. But if your computer had to keep all of that like fully buffered and operational all the time, it would probably explode. So instead, when you move your camera around 
you know, your game just kind of loads like what it can see, or maybe it loads a region and then within that region, you do keep it all buffered. Um, but so there's whole swaths of the world that are just kind of going along and doing their thing and the game is tracking like, oh, okay, this person would move over to here over this period of time, but it's not actually happening and you can't see it. And so I think, um, yeah, I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but I think it's a, a valuable lesson that you can take when, when world building for, for tabletop RPGs. Yeah. Uh, so my, I want to say primary experience world building with specifically with tabletop RPGs was my first foray into a different, not Dungeons and Dragons tabletop RPG called uh, Stars Without Number. That's what it is. And it's like one of the highest rated sci-fi uh, tabletop RPGs. And it, it stresses me out a lot. It doesn't, it actually is a lot like maybe what I want to say your third style of game was, Westmarch's style or Patania, where it's, they give you a, a booklet and it has just like a lot of tables and dice and like instructions for what dice to roll. And it's like, oh, you need to generate. So the premise of Stars Without Numbers is like, I don't know, it's a sci-fi, it's like a generic sci-fi fantasy, no, I want to say sci-fi world with planets and uh, star systems of every sci-fi genre that you can think of, you know, like future hologram sci-fi and like, you know, Mad Max future apocalyptic sci-fi and like cyberpunk city. And like, they, they try to encapsulate all of that in a single, you know, like dungeon guide. And you're like, what, how do they? And so there is a lot of like tables that are like, Oh, man, I want to say like, gen I don't want to say generic, but kind of like they're generic. You like roll a dice and you're like, like in this region, a conflict is that, you know, dice one, you know, wants a, a object from, from dice three. And so you like roll for dice one, you get, you get like a, a human, you know, a character and you roll like dice two and you find like the object and this is on this long treasure list. And then you like roll dice, you know, the next dice and it's like who they want it from. And it's like, oh, it's from this like, you know, religious organization and they have to like infiltrate it. And uh, I don't know. For me, it was, like, really frustrating or maybe, like, no, I don't want to say frustrating. It was a lot of work is what it was. Like, a shocking amount of work. Again, because I'm not as quite as comfortable improvising, like, in the moment or even, like, the day before. Like, I just really wanted to, like, flesh out as much as possible. But I want what I want to contrast that with is uh, my own experiences world building and writing. Because both of us, you know, 12 to 16-year-old Charles and Adam both liked world building. Um, but mine were always in reference to like a book I was going to write one day. I was like, oh, and it's, it, it kind of relates to the style of writing and which is actually one of my favorite things to teach my students sometimes. Well, one of my favorite things to teach them. It's like that writing kind of has two, there's two like broad styles of writing a book, right? There's, there's like plotting authors where they have like event, 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 event. This is almost like railroading in like Dungeons and Dragons, right? But then there's like the exploration arch authors who actually Stephen King is one of the like famous ones. He does this a lot. He's like, he just dreams of like some interesting characters and then he just starts writing. He's like, where would they go next? And it's like, as you're writing it, you're like, you know, it's like you're reading it. You're like, whoa, this is what happens next. Like, I didn't know. I didn't have a plan for this. And to me, for that style of writing, a crutch I used when I was like very young, actually still, still do this a lot, is have that world already set up because then you know, you're like, hmm, what would this character do next? Oh, she would know about that, you know, that conflict. And she would she would probably be like going to go talk to some official about it. 
and um where was i going with this essentially though man world building what a great art <laughs> it's it's a great passion project um it is yeah. um so i i wanted to jump back to to what you were talking about uh like campaign books um mm -hmm. and you know you were saying as a, a first-time dm like you can be very apprehensive about oh well this city just says it's you know it's dangerous that there's like shady people here but it doesn't have any more details so you know well we'll take pity on the people who develop setting books and modules and stuff like that because having now delved into that space myself you know there's always something else that you could include um you know you it's an infinite race. You can yeah. always find one more thing to do, to write. Every about. answer or, spawns like two more questions of like, well, where did that come from, and what what's its effect? And you're like, ah, this is just the answer. Yeah. Another previous. Um, but so, from your perspective, then, as someone who wants your your campaign book, your module to be as complete as possible, mm -hmm. what are the the sort of indispensables? Like, give me a top three or a top five. Like, if you don't see this. You're not even going to pick this book up. You won't even buy it. It's not even worth mentioning. Okay, okay. I like... Uh, there's got to be a... A lot of detailed locations uh, with characters in them. Because... And it there has to be enough. I don't know what the tipping point is, but there has to be a critical mass of them. Because, look, I've DM'd. I understand I have to improvise. Uh, and I will. And I will... But, like, my style of improv at... You know, at my current comfort level is I'll like swap in cities. Like, like if they have a a thread maybe to follow or like a natural conflict the characters get involved in. Mm. I'm you know, I'm comfortable again, like 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 they're like, we're gonna go north. And I'm like, uh-oh, the book wanted them to go south. That's where the desert. And I'll just you know, I can reskin a city on the fly to be like it's it's an ice desert. <laughs> and they're like, that doesn't sound uh and then um so that's what I would like, I guess, is a lot of Ideally, several conflicts that the characters can follow, like quests, and then, you know, enough locations and characters that I'm comfortable moving, that if they, here, that's what it is. I want enough characters and locations that if they reject one, I don't have to improvise the alternative. I, so, how about you, though? What do you, what do you think are the main parts of, of world building for you? Because it sounds like you don't need all that groundwork. Um, yeah, so I'm going to probably start like touching on, on some of our next topics here. But sure. so one thing that I absolutely want is um, I want to, you know, whatever the biggest possible scale of the game is, I want that. You know, I don't care if this is a game that's meant to be kept within a single like kingdom or even a single like principality or or barony within a kingdom or if it's something that's going to play out across a whole continent or a whole world or there's going to be you know like astral and planar travel that's all fine but whatever the biggest possible scale is i want a map that shows me what that is and i can get a general sense of like okay so you know we've got like this region here and over here is this hmm. um and then I would agree with you. I need some some conflict threads, and I want there to be more than one. Um, yeah. And I will add to that. Ideally, I want there to be more than one solution, 
because again, that's sort of the fun and crazy thing about playing a tabletop RPG as compared to, to reading through a book is your heroes or erstwhile heroes as they sometimes end up being um, don't always follow the thread or when they do follow the thread, they may come to a totally different conclusion from it than you know you as the DM or the writers of the module planned for. Um, so I would say flexibility in your conflicts is super important. Mm -hmm. I don't mind you know allowing creative solutions. Uh, I think Stars Without Numbers, some of the campaign books that do exist for it, or even Dungeons and Dragons, um, don't always spell out alternative ways of solving problems and you know getting information. Sometimes they do, like the good ones do, is what I'd say. Uh, but for new DMs, you know, don't be afraid. Again, typically, if it's reasonable, let your let your players move forward, is what I'd say. <laughs> Uh, I, it's interesting that you like the map building part of it. I, what's funny is when I DM, oh man, this is gonna be like if play, play, my players listen to this one day. Like I, I a lot of times ignore the map. Like one of the biggest emphases in my DMing is like flow, maybe like just keep the story moving. And I get this is like hardcore D and D or tabletop RPG players are gonna disagree with me. They're like, no, we to make it, we have to earn it. <laughs> like if there's a desert between those two cities, I want to be in that desert for the amount of time. And I'm often like, let's just teleport to the next like interesting spot and play fa fast and loose with, you know, those aspects of the game. How? Uh, so, have you made maps for some of your worlds? I have. Uh, yeah. Mapped it out. What What are some ways you do? It? What are some strategies if I wanted to do that? Well, first off, um, I would say there's just some absolutely wonderful tools out there now, uh, both free and paid. So, um, what are some of your favorites? We can shout them out. This is how we get sponsorships. I was, I was gonna do a shout out, right? Oh, okay, now. Good. yeah. Um, all right, so personally, I have been using Incarnate, um, Incarnate, uh, like ink, I N K, and then oh, okay. Incarnate, like the word. Um, I've also used, um, and I haven't used this tool in a while, which is why I'm stretching for the name. I think it was just called World Builder. Um, and then mm -hmm. um, I'm going to mention a niche tool and a future hopeful here. Is it World Anvil? Was that when I Googled World Builder, that's what came up? World Anvil. That is what it is. Yes. Yeah. We got uh, I've also used one called Worldographer. Um, that one's a, it's not quite going to give you like the nice, High def, like PNG. Like Civilization but, One. If you play that in like the nineties, that's what this looks like. Yeah, exactly. Worldographer is very like, um, you know, rough overview, um, but I find it can be a really good jumping-off point because I'll get into this a little bit later. But it gives you just enough framework that you can build off of. Whereas you know, when with some of the like more detailed tools you can again coming back to like my preferred style of not over prepping uh, when i have to put you know every single mountain and every single tree and figure out like the the scale and everything on for myself it kind of turns me off whereas if i have if i know like oh there's a forest in this region and nearby it are some mountains then i can start to say you know, okay, so there is this forested region pushing up against some mountains. Why, you know, 
is this an alpine forest or is this, you know, are these mountains like really sudden eruption out of the earth? If so, like mm. what caused these mountains? Were they just a natural like thing that happened or was there some event in the past that caused these mountains to like get ground up so quickly and like suddenly against the edge of this forest here? So when you're world building, are you improvising this again, like before the players get there or after they're there and you're like describing it? Uh, that level of, of improv, I would definitely recommend doing before. Okay, good. I was like, oh man, I cannot. <laughs> in the, it's an alpine forest. Like, what type of trees? I'm like, ah, uh, spiky. Green. <laughs> no, wait, wait, the brown. <laughs> they change colors. I'm like, oh man, this is way off the rails. Um, yeah, so worldographer was sort of the, uh, the niche tool, as I mm -hmm. said, and then um, as far as like a futuristic shout out, um, there are a number of cool looking 3D editors coming out in the next um, few months to years. Uh, I'm subscribed to a few of them. Let me see if I can. Wait, yeah, what is this? How are, how are you finding out about these? Is there some... All right. So one is called Realm Engine Virtual Tabletop. Realm um, and there's a few others that I also am sort of following and they're they're all still in development they're pretty rough right now but um yeah they look really super interesting uh the ones that are closest to being done you know they've put in a ton of work and building your world can be as easy as you know just dragging a, a, your paintbrush across the canvas and, and watching it spring to life at, you know and you can kind of like leave it somewhere for a bit which will deepen the the 3d and suddenly you have a mountain and then you continue dragging and you know then you like stop and you, you know you, you complete your polygonal shape and now you've got yourself your first continent and now you go over somewhere else and start drawing hmm. um, so yeah and i want to shout out ink carnet because hilariously it brings us back to our original premise for this podcast uh, I've seen teachers use Incarnate. Like not, once I, I looked it up and I was like, so I'm apparently not one of the teachers that have used it. But I've seen on Twitter a lot, a lot, some gamifying teachers. I recognize this. They've used Incarnate and they they build like that map for their kids. And then they they like, you know, just copy and paste this map onto like these days, their website, right? Like Canvas or Google sites. And then they make like different towns or mountains like, challenges or assignments or like the hometowns like the home page or something so oh yeah that's a good that's a good use for it um and i do like it looks really nice like this is a good uh good site hey before we get farther into that uh i feel like earlier we mentioned top down versus bottom up world building and i kind of want like are we describing right now which one and what's the difference to you sure yeah uh, let's uh let's recenter a little bit back into yeah. the world building all right so top-down world building to me is um you know sort of what i just described with you know like the 3d editor where I, you're literally starting with nothing you have this blank canvas um mm. and you might you know I, i've literally heard dms who like we're out drinking with their buddies and they like their beer glass the condensation made a an interesting pattern on the napkin and it kind of spoke to them as like 
oh, that kind of looks like a cool archipelago of islands. Mm. Um, but yeah, so top down to me is where you start with a world um, and then you fill it in with the details. So, so like map starting... or land or planet first. Is that a good way of thinking about it? Okay. Yeah. Um, you don't know, you know, who lives in your world. You don't know what problems they might have or why they would even need adventurers or what stories are going to need to be told. Mm. Uh, but you have, you know, you, it's almost, you can think of it as like biblical world building, I guess, top down, like in mm. seven days, God created heavens and the earth. And then he created the animals and the people who lived in it. And then, you know, Adam and Eve or Adam needed Eve. And then, they had two sons and then Cain and Abel happened. And, and so, you know, that's sort of the top down approach. You just start with literally making the physical building blocks and then you populate around it. Hmm. Whereas bottom up, uh, you know, might be clear already without giving too long a, a description, but it starts with a conflict often the way that I do it. Um, mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to be a conflict. A bottom up world building could be as simple as starting with an interesting character that pops into your mind one day yeah i want to say that's how mine is like especially for writing books is my bottom-up world building or i which it is equivalent for novels is you're like oh man what if there's a character that could do this thing like they could stop time that's like and then you're like what would and you just kind of like go from there and you, you think of like you know what's necessary <laughs> so okay and which one do you think you you lean towards more these days man i mean i think they both have their merits. Um, I'm going to just uh, wuss out of this question and say that I think I'm a middle out world builder. Hmm. Um, okay. So what is what's It's a spectrum now. What's the middle version? So to me, the middle version is I don't typically start with like a single small conflict or like individual character in mind, but I might have a... Uh, a sort of shape of what is going on in the world. Um, so I'll jump back to uh, Patania for a second here. So Patania, I knew that it had to be for this specific style of game called West Marches, which basically means that you're exploring a totally unexplored frontier. And so to me, that's you're not coming at it from the bottom because you don't know exactly what the conflicts are on this frontier. You barely even know, like, is this a, a literally unexplored frontier or is this like a, you know, European like colonization style frontier? Are there people that live there already? You don't know what the conflicts are. I'm getting are. a great idea right now for like a history lesson land that's like West Marches themed. Good, good, yeah. Um, and then you're also not really starting from the top either because I at least didn't start Patania with any idea of what the region of Patania actually looked like. It was more like, what's going on in Patania? So I guess hmm. it's maybe clo more closely related to, to bottom-up. Um, but yes, I, would, I guess it is a spectrum. Um, but they're, they're useful terms in, in terms of the principles of like top-down is starting with a world and then populating its people and its conflicts. Whereas bottom up is starting with people in conflicts and building a world around them. Okay, this feels very like intimidating right now. How how long do you think it takes for you to world build? You're like time to play, you know, Dungeons and Dragons with me and the mates this weekend. 
Is that enough time? Like a week away? <laughs> How long do you spend on something I mean, like this? Yes, a week away is is more than enough time in my really opinion. okay. Yeah, because again, you know, and this is going back to what I was saying. Don't build absolutely everything. Um, you know, be realistic. If you know that your timeline is, I have to have something that is a playable setting by a week from today. You may have an overarching view of like, okay, this is the story I want to tell, or like, these are the conflicts that are going on, or this is the world. But then whatever those are, you gotta mm -hmm. scale it down, scale it back to, you know, where does the story begin? Do I need this whole global world map populated, or are we starting on this one island, or this one mm -hmm. town, or this one, like, kingdom? One jail cell that I don't like players out of. <laughs> then I can world build everything. <laughs> I name all the rats. <laughs> but like you don't need that for your first session, I guess is my point. Yeah. You know. Okay. Like we were saying earlier, world building is a, an infinitely ongoing exercise. You can each answer just causes two more questions to pop up. Um, but you don't need to have all the answers to to start the game and to have fun with it. Yeah. What are, do you have any good strategies for like brainstorming world building? Let's say like someone's like, oh man, I'm going to DM something this weekend. I'm going to, I'm going to homebrew it. Hmm. Um, I mean, I guess I'm just going to keep coming back to this point because I think it's important. Don't over prep in, not in terms of like, don't over prep your details, though I do think that's important too. But don't make more than you will ever possibly cover. You know, you don't have to spend 80 hours a week prepping mm -hmm. because you have to have this whole world built out. And like, who even knows what the economy of the like market city halfway across the world looks like right now? Are, are they like, do they even have money or are they, um, are they barter based? No, you don't need any of that to start out. Um, so that's, that would be my big tip is just start with what you need and mm -hmm. go from there. I still want to throw in that tip of fan fiction. Just take them to Hogwarts, especially if they haven't read Ho Harry Potter yet. You're like, yeah. Uh, yeah absolutely. One of, actually, one of the yeah. best uh, just general Dungeon Master tips that I ever read, but I think it definitely trends towards world building, is uh, the less well-known your source material the better you will look. <laughs> <laughs> so no one's like, this sounds a lot like the Hunger Games, but instead they're like, oh, the, I've this is brand new. I've never heard of this. You know, yes, yes. It's based on a niche <laughs> Japanese manga that none of you have read. Uh, okay. Um, you know, I want to draw a lot of analogies here to lesson planning. I'm I'm definitely the same way I'm the sort of DM that like wants to overplan and probably has done it and it's, I mean, it doesn't hurt, but it also does hurt. Like, like you do spend a lot of time, and you're like, "Oh man, that was." Uh, and, it, and sometimes it can restrict your improving. Um, with lesson planning, I'm also like that too, though. Sometimes I'll spend like ridiculous amounts of time on like a lesson, and I'm like, "Wow, I way overthought." Like, what will I do if a kid asks this? What direction can I go? Uh, you know, I do want to. I wanted to talk about how can these skills, how can we bring this into the classroom? Okay, what are some ways that this can? Just, just uh, you know, address that twenty, you know, that niche of our our audience. 
Is there any apl applicability of this to the education field, do you think? A hundred percent. So first off, I think almost no matter what subject you teach, uh, there's some aspect of world building that can be incorporated and can teach lessons and get, you know, your students and learners just like super excited and engaged with it. Um, which at the end of the day, as we've discussed before, is sort of the point of like bringing games and, and learning and play into the classroom to begin with. Yeah. Um, but I'll start with the big one. Um, writing and reading skills, you know, like um, bar none, like world building is writing, right? We've talked mm -hmm. about like famous authors who do this and Yes, if you can get a kid excited and thinking about their book or their like writing skills from this perspective. Um, and again, like you keep mentioning fan fiction. A lot of kids like hesitate to write stuff about oh, like the Lord of the Flies or whatever, you know, sort of generic work, not generic. These are established, very good <laughs> works that deserve the, the accreditations. They yes. can present. But at the same time- we'll Tag them to you. Kids can be sort of like roped into writing about something that they're more passionate about, and then they can transfer those skills over to the those topics and subjects that they maybe would be less interested in. So writing and reading, super big one for me. Um, and I actually think, you know, like social studies, math, all of these have elements of world building, you know, um, whether you're the uh, the math geek or the accountant who really does want to figure out like every element of the like economy of this one city or um you know i this will be a callback to our homework episode too um one of my favorite homework episodes that i thought of after we after we did that episode mm -hmm. and didn't mention was um we got assigned to in one of my geography classes, I want to say it was like sixth grade, maybe seventh grade, um, to just draw a map, like a, you know, a geographical map based on an item in your house. Hmm. What uh, does that mean? Like a, an island shaped like a shoe? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Uh, like there were so many cool ones, like there were vases and like a table, like land and personally mine was uh it was gamecube island so there was a a large like squarish continent and then a little island archipelago that reached out to a, a controller shaped smaller island mm -hmm. you know and obviously ridiculous but it really engaged me in, into geography and thinking about like you know a, where would I put like mountains and how would they have been formed and, and where would the rivers be? Where is the, uh, you know, the water divides? Um, like, I mean, not to get too real with it, but literally just the other day with one of my players in a, a D and D game I was running, uh, we had almost a heated argument because um, he is a, a, a marine ecologist uh, specifically focusing on like wetland. In, in real life or his character? No, in real life. Like I was that like, is, that's a great character backstory. <laughs> it is a great character yeah. backstory. Um, but we got into this big argument because um, I did not know that you, I'm going to get it wrong now. So don't 
hate me forever, Tom. The, if you have a swamp near a lake with a river flowing through, it will always flow from the swamp to the lake, I believe, is what he said. And the way that I had my water table set up was the there was this big lake and then a river flowed out of the lake and into a nearby swamp and then eventually drained out of the swamp and into like the ocean. Um, but yeah, li- uh, you know, like literally Whoa. any any niche topic. You can Dude, the say. intricacies of your Dungeons and Dragons games are so different. Than... <laughs> it's like this river is flowing the wrong way. <laughs> and you're like, how did I... I know we're going to stay on this topic for a little too long, but how did they, how did this come up? For, was he like following the river and he's like, why is there a swamp here? This makes no ecological sense. Uh, well, so it was actually that they had discovered the swamp first. Okay. And then following the river to get out of the swamp and came upon this lake. And yeah, that was, that was where it all broke down. But like, they literally asked like, what direction is the water flowing from the swamp? Because yeah. you could follow well, a river and it could have just been going before they decided to travel along the river, they wanted to know which way the river flowed, and then they decided to travel upriver instead of downriver. Mm. Um, See, if you had carefully calculated every aspect of your game, like I do, and locked them in a much smaller environment, <laughs> and teleported them past the rivers, look at all, look at all the ease of flow. Uh, yeah, can I say, with the calling back to the writing and reading skills that you get from world building, I think, as with many things, that we're going to be discussing in this podcast, the applicability of this is both in teachers' world building for their students and, you know, like, gamifying their classroom that way or providing purpose is what I, th- I think. To me, that's like giving purpose to this. Instead of like, hey, write this fantasy story, write this essay about some guy, right? Like, now you're, they have purpose because it relates to this world maybe that, that the teacher has set out for them um, or, you know, they're reading something about this world. I think that's one way of doing it. And then there's always the, like, what if a student does it? Like, because we've both seen, I mean, one, it's natively art-based, especially apparently top-down, which there is some weird, it is oddly satisfying to build a map. Like, is that is that a callback to our childhood with, like, treasure maps? I don't know, because I can, when you, t- when you were speaking about that project, I was like, oh, my gosh. I have a lot of, like, fairly vivid memories of, like, making maps as a child. Not like a, not like, a lot of them but like i can remember several times and i'm like those were always like interesting times That's something about like the creation aspect maybe the the art the um but i do think there's like a real project there for creative teachers you know make a island representing the american revolution what would they look like <laughs> what would the boston tea party look like as a city i don't know i'm trying to think of like causes the american revolution what would the stamp act look like as a government I had already as a government organization as a religion. <laughs> There's some abstract parts of that that you know would have to be hammered out by the kid. Well, uh, that, yeah. that actually brings me before we move on um, to sort of what I think is the most important lesson from mm-hmm. world thing, which is just you know critical thinking. Like we've talked about before mm-hmm. about like these sort of executive functioning skills that are, are hard to teach, hard to test. But I think world building rewards kids well, all learners, um, for critically thinking about things and just having a reason. Like, it doesn't have to even be a good reason, but if you have put the thought in to have a reason for why something is the way it is, mm. then at least it shows that you're thinking about it and, you know, you're, you're learning to think about things in ways that you wouldn't normally. 
Um, and as was exemplified by my, uh, my little river story there, um, I think world building both rewards broad conceptual knowledge and it also offers the chance for you and in the tabletop RPG world, your players to share your deep subject matter knowledge with one another. Like, mm-hmm. I've been friends with this guy uh, for several years now, and I have heard about his work, and he's told me about, like, his PhD that he did on small, like, fish species within a, a particular water system. And that's all, like, cool and interesting, and I, I have learned a lot from him, but I would never have, you know, even in years of knowing him and talking about this stuff, I never learned that you could never have a swamp downstream of a lake. Like, mm-hmm. It just gives you this chance to, to share your your deep knowledge with one another. And I think that's really cool. I do. I mean, world building by its very definition covers every every knowledge. Like, right? Like, you're like, how can I learn sociology? This way? Well, you're writing about the, you know, these two civilizations. Or how can I, you know, math especially, I feel like so easily you can mix in. But oh, yeah. uh, more of your topics, more like various topics, depending on which part of the I world am- you're zooming in on. You know. I mean, you know, I think people might think it's a little silly, like, oh, how is science relevant in a fantasy game where you have, like, magic and dragons and all that One, kind of play a sci-fi tabletop RPG. <laughs> or, like, a modern-day setting. Yeah, no, you can definitely mod- But two, yeah, what else? But I've had players come up with, like, the most fascinating things. Like, I once had a, a player trying to construct a railgun using a wand of web and... I don't even remember all the components, but like an immovable rod. I bet you that. That to me, my breaking <laughs> physics is <laughs> so many applicability for a physicist. They're like, yeah, I'm gonna destroy the world with this. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I've been playing a lot of D and D. My old D and D groups. I gotta say, I love that. Um, playing within the world really rewards creativity and and uh base base knowledge is like what you're saying right like it rewards like yeah i like i knew this thing because i was really interested in science maybe or possibly like history like i've seen a similar conflict yeah hmm is that covering do we want to talk about maybe finishing with why should everyone try at least one world building exercise one last plug for this what I want to call it, art form, this <laughs> hobby. Art form, hobby. You know, it's it's part science too. Sure, we can we can talk about that. So, mm-hmm. do you want to go first, or should I? Uh, I'll go first. Why should everyone try at least a short world building exercise, either with their students or by themselves? You know, one. I think, like we've said, it's so crazy applicable to to writing like pure writing uh while it is different from like plotting out a novel i think a lot of the pleasure for me at least and a lot of the having that freedom to just build a world it's so fascinating you can get lost in the flow of that so easily uh and then too it's just there's so many oh no here's what my new number two is two why you should get it interested in a short world building exercise is because there's still so many undiscovered worlds out there like i'm so i you have a fresh spin to put on fantasy worlds or sci-fi worlds or whatever and i want to read it i want more i want new games and new books especially cyberpunk can i i'm gonna plug that 
the genre of cyberpunk. I think I think it's not explored enough. I'm too obsessed with it, and I've read like all the highest rated stuff, and it's, I need more. So thank you, viewers. <laughs> How about you, Adam? Can you tell us uh, why do you think everyone should try a short world building exercise at least once? Sure. So I'll get a, a little more meta with it here. Um, I think world building teaches you to think in ways that you wouldn't normally. Uh, I kind of mentioned that earlier. And I don't just mean, you know, the, the crunchy parts of it. Like I, you know, we may all sort of generally think about the stock market or, or the economy in whatever ways are relevant to our daily lives. But that takes on a whole new look when you are literally doing the number crunching behind it and figuring out how is my economy going to work? Um, you know, how many copper pieces is a chicken worth? Um, but beyond that, like crunchy stuff, I think learning to think big picture and learning to consider multiple sides of a conflict. Um, Ooh. You know, I think that's something that everyone could use a little bit more of in, uh, in the modern world. No. It, especially these you know, days, being able to understand <laughs> both sides yeah like we try to teach force analysis right and like mm -hmm. okay how do i like analyze this uh this like internet article that i just read and find out if it's from a source i should trust and i think people who have tried an exercise in world building and have learned through that some of the ways to identify like where's the bias or like even if there's no like bias per se like what did the writer want me to take away from this um i think it's just super valuable knowledge that everyone could use more of awesome yeah well that brings us to the end of today's show thank you so much for joining us that was episode five unless we change canonically the order as we did with episode one and two um <laughs> join us next week on tuesday morning when we'll be playing our episode we can fill in that blank later, right? Do we, can we, do we have that ability? <laughs> For another episode of Gaming and Teaching. There we go. That brings us to the end of today's cast. We hope you had fun, learned a little, and join us next week. Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes each Tuesday. You can also find us on social media at Plotting Podcast or on our subreddit, r slash Plotting Podcast. Mm -hmm.